Uh, welcome everybody to the uh, Keep It Forward, Keep Moving Forward podcast. Um, today I am with Miss Janine Baguette, who is an Air Force veteran. So um, let all the Air Force jokes start flying now. Would we would give a safety brief, but exactly. you know, tripping over the cord isn't exactly the big thing that we want to do here. So, um, but Janine, welcome. Thank, Thank you so much for joining me. Um, if I'm going to turn it over to you so you can just kind of give a little background because you're you've got not only a military background but also the law enforcement background and kind of just want to let you speak about yourself there for a few minutes. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I am both a combat veteran from Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I was deployed to um, Saudi Arabia and Iraq for that um, time frame as an Aerovac medic. So we would um, take patients out of country into Germany. And so I flew many missions uh, doing that. Saw a lot of um, bad things, um, bombings, shellings, sniper fire, all of that. Uh, got out, did about nine years um, in the military, both reserve and active duty. Got out, got into law enforcement, worked for both um, state, federal, and some county agents, county and, and local agencies within uh, California, Washington State, and Texas now, which is where I'm located now. Um, I'm retired. I started a nonprofit in 2012 called Canines for Freedom and Independence, where we take uh, rescued dogs and donated dogs and train them for critical incident response and team them up with agencies across the country, whether or not it be law enforcement, fire, uh, EMS, and they uh, help the employees within, but then they also help the community, whether or not it's uh, a community event where people can come and pet on the dogs and love on them. And we've got a well-trained dog that has to recertify yearly for um, the purposes of liability of the agencies or it's uh, victim interviewing, dealing with a uh, officer involved shooting. It helps decompress those that were involved. Um, as most people see in the news, it's, um, it's, it's quite the um, horrible situation right now for law enforcement for a couple of reasons. The toxic nature within the, the uh, organizations or within the career field but then now we've also got the communities. We've got certain individuals or groups that are vying for their different political status of getting rid of police or defunding police or whatnot. And we've got a lot of people quitting or retiring as quick as they can, or worst case scenario is committing suicide. The suicide rate in law enforcement is much higher than even the criminals that they are dealing with. So divorce rate is extremely high due to the stressors. There's a ton of problems that need to be dealt with and I'm just one piece. And how I do it is with my background because I've been a canine handler and trainer for 25 years. And that's how I've decided to try and help is using my skills to do that. And uh, it's worked out well. I've got dogs 
in New York, Delaware, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, just to name some off the top of my head. So, well, no, it's good that you're you've got a reach and it's going across the country because um, I think kind of describing what you're talking about, it's almost as if they're not trained to do a specific task, but they're more like they're almost like a therapy animal for the services themselves, or they help break down that nervousness and that angst by giving a calm fluffy i got four dogs myself so yeah i'm a dog lover um, yep. where basically it helps people be more relaxed in a very unrelaxed situation i guess is the best right way to put it. yeah since these dogs are trained to go out in the field with their handlers um we don't use the word therapy because therapy has a very bad stigma to it when it comes to law enforcement and the military. Oh yeah. So critical incident response team or a cert canine is what we call them. And we use that because cops and military love acronyms. I mean, it's just what they do. Oh, I think it's anything government related whatsoever loves an acronym. Exactly. <laughs> so we do that. But then too, since they're trained to go to a, multifaceted type situations, whether or not you're talking a large conference room full of people to a one-on-one -on -one with someone, to children, to a courtroom, to, um, you know, let's say it's on scene of an officer involved shooting and everything is still crazy going on around them. They're still having to remain calm and focus on. We actually do train these dogs to start detecting the stress hormones that are coming off of people and so they're attracted to it and we try and get them to go to those people that are most stressed first and then they'll end up making their way through um everyone else as well but with that being said we need them to remain calm even in those high stress situations so where there's a place for the quote unquote therapy dog Mm -hmm. um, those are typically done in clinical settings or very calm settings. Ours are meant to be in very chaotic scenes and chaotic situations. And so that's why we use, we use the uh, terminology critical incident response team canine. No. And I just come from a medical background because oh, yeah. I was a medic in the army to begin with. And then nice. by the time I got done in the army, I was herding cats and yep. Went on to be an ER nurse, and now I'm no longer in the ER because I think I finally got to a point where the stress and the angst of that type of setting just no longer was no longer was what I needed to do at this point in my life anymore. Because I think I've seen and done enough in my life that I don't need the craziness and the zaniness. So now I get to sit behind a computer type on a lot of spreadsheets and uh, talk to wonderful people like you. And hopefully I'll get to do stuff like this as my main job going forward. But yeah, cross that bridge when and when and if I can get there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, no, um, the law enforcement conversation, I think, is something that is interesting because I don't have the law enforcement background. We used to basically say like the MPs. Mm -hmm. A couple of things in my military career. One, it was like the PFC with all the power because, you know, if he's on patrol and he got straight out of AIT and he pulls over the Fulberg Colonel, the Fulberg Colonel can't do nothing about it. And then two, we used to call him 
sitting ducks because basically they were standing on the street corners and that's where the suicide bombers would come in and try to hit them at the checkpoints. And unfortunately, the MPs had a lot of the checkpoints. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I've had to deal with it and uh, it's never got attached to the MPs physically. But uh, yeah, no, they they took their lumps. Is a, yeah, yeah. Is being in the and they they were so short that they tended to do a lot of deployments as well because there wasn't a lot of reserve and national guard units that could make up for the shortfall. So right, it was in a constant op tempo. Well, it's very similar in uh, the civilian side of law enforcement because uh, everyone is short staffed. Everyone is dealing with um, different issues, whether or not you're talking budgetary, personnel, whatever. And I mean, I hate to say it, but a lot of it is their own doing mm -hmm. from their administrations because instead of trying to figure out the problem, all they're doing is getting rid of the problem child mm -hmm. that they say is the problem child. Well, what have you done to make it a to make this person a problem child? You know, we have the toxic environment that's allowed to run rampant within the four walls of the PD. Um, and then you find it odd that they're out treating the the citizens that they're working for and with just as badly as they're being treated within the four walls of where their um, their PD is at. And you think that's abnormal. Why is that abnormal? You they're doing exactly how they're being treated. Yeah, and I I think. A lot of it is too is that there's a rather um and i don't want to say that like people of color or mm -hmm. different ethnicities don't do bad things to cops because i think anybody has the potential to do anything to a bad sure. bad to there's bad in every career field um but if you look at it statistically the most dangerous person to a cop is a middle-aged white male because they do more, they actually kill more cops per year than all the other ethnicities put together, I think it is, because they're the ones with the guns, they're the ones that have the leanings against government for the most part. And I just find it really kind of ironic that when you see the negative context of law enforcement being portrayed in the media, and it's, and it's not because it doesn't need to be said in the media, because usually it's on the heels of something really bad happening. Sure. But it's why is it that those things always seem to be happening and what's being done within the departments in order, I guess, to try and figure out why is why is your people that are out there to serve and protect having that effect on the communities that they're actually charged to kind of go out there and serve and protect? Well, true, but there can be, you know, obviously there's blame on both sides. Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, there's so, but. I know what you're saying when it comes to, you know, that it's, um, you know, for having to deal with as much as law enforcement and, and fire and whatnot have to deal with on a daily basis, um, it, their, their personal lives will affect their work life and their work life will affect their personal life. And if you have an individual that's dealing with, let's say it's a personal issue of a family health issue, 
and their mind isn't on the job and they make mistakes because their mind isn't on the job. They're on this other personal situation. We shouldn't be bashing them for, um, for what's going on. I mean, can you blame them honestly for these other things being distracting? Why not try and, you know, bring them to a place where they can do their job, find out what it is. Do you even know enough about this person to know what's going on in their personal life? Have you invested time into this person to find out who they are as a person? And then when you help them get past some of these issues, do you know how much more of a buy-in they're going to have on that agency than just kicking them loose because they've made a mistake? Yeah, no. And I mean, obviously the mistakes that we're I'm talking about are the ones that have made national headlines and, um, I don't have the background um, coming like I didn't join the military to go take life. I was a medic. So my job was to try and get my guys home as much as we could. Um, sure. And that's kind of where I was at with it. Um, yeah. As a law enforcement professional on situations like what happened with like George Floyd. Okay. What would you say? was the crux of that situation when you've got basically any human being, doesn't matter if they're white or black, but any human being sitting in a situation where they're basically pleading for their life. And I understand there's a callousness that kind of comes along with doing the job because you almost have to kind of shut yourself off in a way to where, cause you're going to hear a lot of things and it's, there's a part of it where if you listen to all of it, it inhibits you from being able to do your job effectively. Sure. But where does it cross that line? And in your opinion, do you think that like the situation with George Floyd, because that's the one I can think of off the top of my head here. Do you think that that situation needed to go as far as it did? I'm not going to second guess a situation that I really don't know anything about. Okay. Um, I'm not going to second guess an officer. I'll never second guess an officer in regards to I wasn't there. Um. Obviously, mistakes were made. Um, but for it to get to the point where it did, I'm I'm not sure what was going on in that person's head. Um, I don't know, you know, anything about that. Was there past dealings with those two individuals? Um you know, th there's so many different things that were there that I know nothing about. I'm not going to say, you know, and come back behind someone without knowing, well, you should have, could have, would have. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times do we hear that? Well, you should have, you should have shot him in the kneecap and you know, whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's no, not realistic. Uh, no, and I, I will, yeah, you never aim for the kneecap. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to. I'm not even going to give my input on that situation all the way around. It was a horrible situation. No. And I, I think that's fair because I think with the backgrounds that we've had, you can sit there and you can go, yeah, the situation was horrible, but are you going to necessarily 
proverbially throw somebody under the bus for what was going on when you weren't there and you weren't involved in it and you didn't have firsthand knowledge of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very fair assessment. And um, yeah, like shooting somebody in the kneecap for anybody that's listening to this that thinks you can actually, in the moment, try to actually aim for someone's leg and hit them. Chances are, if you hit them in the leg, it's because you pulled your shot and it just happened to get them there because you're definitely never aiming for the leg. Because right. if you're taking that stance. Well, there's no such thing as shoot to kill. That is yeah. never anything that any of us has ever been taught, has ever been said, has, that's not why we're there. It is shoot to stop the threat. Mm -hmm. Period. No, nope. that's the same thing you get in the military as well. It's so, like um, you know, there's, there's, I mean, you can, and I'm not talking any specific situation. Mm -hmm. There is blame on both sides. Oh yeah. No. I mean, cause situations didn't have to go south and, and however many situations you can talk to out there or the ones that people are complaining about, uh, well, they didn't have to do that. Okay. Maybe not, but then on the other hand, your um, your loved one that you're saying was treated so poorly didn't have to do what they did either. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying any particular situation, but we need to, as a whole, as a as a society, we need to take responsibility for our own personal actions. Yeah, and I think that that is something that is in society is we're looking to place blame on so many other people that very mm -hmm. rarely do we just look at ourselves and be like, what could I have done to make the situation better, right. to make this go better? Right. I think that there's a lack of accountability at upper levels. And I say this kind oh, of yeah. really. They, they forget where it, they came from. You see it throughout business um, in a lot of ways, you see it definitely in government in a lot of ways. And I think in any large bureaucracy of which police, fire departments, mm -hmm. they all are, is that there are very few leaders that are up there that are accountable for what happens and say that, you know, this is a micro, this is basically, and I think it's like the, we had it in the military and the military really started moving, I want to say about 2012-ish towards identifying and trying to minimize the impact of toxic leadership inside the ranks, at least in the army. Because, okay. Let's face it, from like 03 to about 2011, if you had a pulse in certain situations, you were getting a promotion. Oh, yeah. And with that, a lot of people got promoted that didn't necessarily need to be promoted or right. they took on mentorship that wasn't necessarily probably the best mentor they could have had given the career path that they were trying to go into. Sure. So what you had is you had a real movement to try to identify and minimize the impact of these toxic leaders that didn't take accountability, always put it on the foot of somebody else, weren't, were basically willing to sacrifice anybody around them to get that next leg up or to make themselves look good because they didn't sure. realize that. Well, that's all ego, narcissistic, personalities and um i don't even call those people leaders i call them supervisors or managers or uh administration i would call leaders. them more administrators than, than a yeah leader. because leaders don't have don't necessarily have to have rank 
Mm-mm. No, that's true. And that's so I've seen more leaders at the lower levels than I have at the upper levels. No, and I, I agree with you in a lot of ways. Um, we used to call it the E4 mafia for a reason, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would have a lot of good leaders there, but they didn't want to take on the official responsibility. Right. And a lot of times I would look at them and be like, you might as well just go for it. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because you're already doing the job. You might as well get paid for it. Yeah. And a lot of times, too, it's because when you see those people doing those great things, especially at lower levels, you want to try to build them up because they can get that step up one or two. If they carry it on and take that same type of leadership that they were displaying younger and don't get caught up in the politics of the positions. Right. They will advance up the, the ladder pretty quickly because they're going to have people that are willing to do more for them than people that want to make themselves look good because they're not out there to make themselves look good. They're out there to get a job done. And by getting the job done, usually it means let's make sure my people have the best ability to get what they need in order to get the job done. And you'll take care of your people and your people usually will take care of you at least. Right. Well, and then that's just it. Individuals in whether or not you're talking the military um, and law enforcement. Yes, they go through traumatic events that cause each individual some sort some form of trauma but believe it or not it's the daily and extended exposure to the daily drama and toxic garbage that they deal with that has more effect on them as a general rule mm-hmm. that has more because it's little bit all the time or less of a crisis kind of situation but it's longer endured so it actually outweighs the crisis because the crisis might be a spike but it's very short in duration um and then you get the very i mean it's how do you explain it um those people that are in those types of situations, when they're in those situations, they absolutely become part of it. They assimilate into it. So they become what they're having a problem with. So they just become another layer. And someone who comes at the situation trying to make it better, they're even met with more force and more denial and more uh, pushback because you're not kind of going along with the program. Yeah, no. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about because I've run into that full on, which is one of the reasons why I ended up leaving the emergency room was because the emergency room that I was at, unfortunately, when you wanted to try and institute positive change, I would get told, uh, this is the VA. Uh, we, you got to lower your expectations because we don't have the resources. But at the same time, you're looking at it going, it's not the resources that I'm talking about. It's how we utilize what resources we have. Right. Exactly. Because nobody wants to change because change is work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been, but that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, yeah, it used to piss me, piss me royally off. And yeah, 
anybody that's listening to this or watching this that knows me knows that there is a few ways that you can really get to me. But when I really start getting upset, it really, I, I will have absolutely no problem telling you exactly what it is I'm thinking or feeling. But I realized also that because I do have PTSD and I do have those moments that if I hit to a certain point, there's not a whole lot of me coming back that day. And I'm going to end up having to leave work or leave the situation because I don't have the ability to let it go easily because once it gets to that point, it kind of takes over that powder keg as it will. Right. It's really hard to kind of rein it back in sometimes. And I really got to go and just kind of find that quiet place and just kind of try to get myself to settle back down. Um, no, and I think that's a good segue because we've kind of met each other based off of 220, which yes. you went through. And mm-hmm. um, Dr. Arnell, I interviewed prior to this, and um, I I know you have a background with both military and law enforcement, so I'm assuming PTSD was a part of it based upon either what you've seen, what you've had to do whatever it is, um, where were you before you went to 22-0 and where were you coming out of it? Um, definitely uh, a lot more anxious, um, a lot of um, second guessing, um, you know, thinking a thinking quite a bit about the different problems that I was having. I mean, family issues were going on, um, you know, in the midst of it started having some health problems, um, dealing with the toxic stuff of, of the career field. And that overwhelming, um, just, I mean, the only way I can say it is uh, anxious and not able to really focus. And it was getting to a point where um, over the the last, I'd say, year, um, not sleeping much, not um, not doing well. Uh, in a lot of different ways. And I had heard about them and thought, what the hell? I have nothing to lose. <laughs> um, and so I thought, well, let me, let me uh, reach out. I'd heard about their organization and I'm always wanting to network with other organizations that have a different piece of the same puzzle. Mm-hmm. And so I had heard about them. And so I reached out to Dr. Arnell and I said, Hey, is there any way we can uh, schedule a time to talk on the phone? And, and we did, we ended up talking for quite a while. Sweet, sweet lady. Oh yeah. Very, very knowledgeable. And, um, and then we ended up going to an event that I didn't know she was going to be going to share. She told me about it. Uh, empowering heroes event here in Dallas. And she told me she was going to be there. And I'm like, well, I'm going to clear my schedule so I can go too. Cause I know, you know, I need, I now need to meet you face to face. And 
so we were able to do that and it was phenomenal. We had some nice conversations and everything. And then the person that I used for um, the treatment I went through for 220, uh, phenomenal. Another female uh, law enforcement officer that is a, a dog and horse lover. <laughs> And I'm like, nothing in common whatsoever. Exactly. You know, and, <laughs> and so we start talking and we're joking around and stuff too. I mean, we get, we get the business part of it done as well. And she goes, you know, after this is done, we're going to be friends. Right. You know? And I'm like, oh, absolutely. Cause we both have, you know, the sarcastic humor and, Oops. you know, and all of that stuff. So, yeah. But um, anyway, and we have become friends. And so going through that process, I'll tell you, it's draining. It's extremely draining when you go through it. And for the rest of the day that I had that work that I did with, uh, with the person I used was Terry. I was a bump on a log. I mean, just, I mean, just like when you take like a, a long, uh, algebra test or a long math. Oh, yeah, no. I, know, you know, I know what you're talking about where it's just, there's nothing more you can do because emotionally and physically, you just feel like you have spent it all. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I actually did three appointments, which I guess two is their normal. Yeah, I've heard varying numbers. Yeah. It, I think it just it depends on the individual and what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I did the three. And um, I mean, I have to admit, I am, I mean, I'm one of those people, I'm not a constant worrier, but it kind of gotten to that point, which for me was uncomfortable anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, but then going through the process, I'm, I'm a very responsible person. So, you know, it's like, I pay my bills. I, you know, I show up to appointments when I'm supposed to be there. And, and some of that had wavered, uh, this last year. And so that was pretty upsetting for me because I hate being late. I hate, you know, all of that. And I guess that comes from the military side. Oh, yeah. Um, and so when I was going into this process, I had all these things going on. And then when I got done and it took, I'd say even a couple days after the, the last appointment, I could absolutely feel the difference of not worrying so much and be having a more What's a good word for it? More like a, a, a an overall calmness. Okay. No, I think I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And, you know, so that to me was priceless. Well, you know, um, getting, getting that back. No, I can definitely see that because uh, I actually was talking to Dr. Arnell today, not on the phone, but we were sending emails back and forth because I'm signing up to go through the program 
Yeah. I'm like with you, it's like, and I've done traditional therapy. I've been through a lot. Mm -hmm. I've spent some time on the inpatient psych wards because of situations I got myself into. Um, right. I say that there, if it wasn't for the people that were around me, yeah, I wouldn't be here right now because they literally yeah. threw me in the hospital and got me there in time. Yeah. Uh, that when I was talking to her, I'm just looking at her. I'm like, you know, she's like, well, you know, you got to take this. And I'm like, I'd be stupid if I didn't try it. Cause exactly. Even if you go in there and it's only like, okay, you know, we're going to go in here and see what it is. It's like, just give yourself to it. Let the process play out. Cause I know through, cause I still do traditional therapy. I, I'm mm -hmm. still, sure. I still all the things I got to do because I know also enough about me that if I go off those things, there's a precipitous drop that goes right off the edge of a cliff if I get right. away from that stuff too far. Right. Um, yep. But I was like, yeah, no. There's no bad outcome to me going through it. Right. It's not going to cost me anything. I'm only going to get better for it. And oh yeah. No, and I, I was just curious because it's it's one thing to listen to someone that's like the director of the program or sure. like or pitching the program because they want mm -hmm. it. They're looking at it, but it's. It's very real when you get that information back from people that have been through it. And I've got a couple more interviews set up with people that have also been through 220. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to just hear the unsolicited responses coming back because I get the worry. I get the inability to concentrate. Yep. Um, the poor sleep. I'm like, you know, I've been doing most of those things for at least the last 12 or 13 years that I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, uh, yeah, because my wife will tell you there's moments. Um, I call that ADD brain because we affectionately refer to it in the hospital that if you were OCD, you ended up in the ICU as a nurse. If you were ADD, you would end up in the ER because there's always so much more going on in the ER that it oh, allows kept... you yeah. one thing to the other. And you're just like, okay, what's next? And you go to that to what's next? Whereas oh you have, yeah, you have everything planned out as far as all twelve hours of their shift is planned out for the ED. It's like I don't know what's coming through the door next. Let's have fun. Yeah. Uh, but my wife is like, yeah. There's just points where you will lose all track of time, and I'm like, yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. And she's yep. like, I now know that I have to go in there just to break you out of those things when they happen. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, and I. And it's hard to say if that's ADD or if it's the PTSD because nobody really wants to do it. I can say that I finally got someone to prescribe me ADD medication and I could feel my anxiety go from like here down because I was able to concentrate better and do things better and get all those things. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that drives individuals with like a military law enforcement first responder background is that when you're not able to concentrate on things when you need to concentrate on them, it creates that much more angst inside you. Yeah. Yep. No, it's a vicious circle. Um, and then when you get an agency, uh, or in your case, a, a hospital administrator and, and whatnot, um, that wants to deal with it as a supervisor and a write-up, because you you made a mistake and you get written up for it. and it's like okay um you're obviously not thinking beyond you know what are the clues that when you when you hired this person 
this is how they were. When or have you even seen the change in their personality? And when you first saw it, did you do anything about it? Or did you not do anything about it? Um, all of that is going to affect how they do their job. Mm -hmm. You can't expect these people to be a Superman or a superwoman and have all these, you know, things that are going on in their lives and not have it affect them at work. It doesn't work that way. And in this job, it's blatantly obvious that we're having a lot of contact with a lot of different people. It's not like you're behind the computer at a desk and you're just working on documents or you're working on paperwork. It's not the same. You can't treat these people the same. Mm -hmm. And that's, they don't teach that anywhere. They don't teach it in a police academy. They don't teach it in, in any type of supervisor training. They're teaching you how to be a manager. Okay. If you have a person that writes them up, here's the different levels of um, counseling, you know, there's verbal, there's written, there's blah, 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 you know, and they go down the road. Okay. Um, so there's a lot missing in how to be a supervisor. Yeah, no. And I agree with you in that statement because what you'll see too, is you see a lot of people that and I think you you nailed it on the head where it's like you have people in leadership positions, but they're not leaders. Right. Um, and we've you, you can sit there, you can go to all the classes you want on leadership and do everything. And they'll teach you about all the different types of leaders, the micromanager, the laissez-faire leader, the yada, 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 and the blah, blah, blah. But when it really comes down to it is that in order to be an effective leader, and this is the one thing that I learned, and I learned it by learning from some very, very bad leaders that I had. Mm -hmm. and some, also some very good leaders that I had. Right. And I've been fortunate or unfortunate, depending on where you come from, to have been underneath both. Right. And when you have a good leader, I think people recognize it a lot quicker. Right. And as a good leader, it's like the one thing that I think anybody at any level needs to be aware of is like business or whatever it is. Cause like, there's the big thing now where it's like, you've got CEOs making ungodly amounts of money, Yep. but they're not paying their lowest level employees a living wage where depending on the country, part of the country you live in, like where I'm at $15 an hour is not enough for somebody to live on and be able to like, not have to go hungry a few nights a week at a minimum in order to still have a, a roof over their head. And that's with roommates. Um, but it's like, I think it was a Congressman had, I, I don't even know what bank it was, but it was a bank CEO that was up there testifying for something in some firm. And they took out what they were paying, like their teller in the district where the Congressperson come from. And they were like, so what are they supposed to do on the fact that if you take the cheapest rent for a one bedroom apartment, the cheapest food that they can buy and everything else. And they're still having a $400 shortfall. How is this the fault of your employee and not 
the fault of your institution not paying this employee enough to be able to make a living in this area. Right. Well, I mean, I, and I, and I hear what you're saying. There's two sides to it and there's gotta be a place to come together with that. And I agree with you on that. A job is only worth how much the job is worth. Um, that should be for most anyone, um, you know, like an entry level job, which is, you know, like what I had when I was in high school, I got, I got high school credit for working at a entry level job that I was still living with my parents, you know, at the time. So I didn't have to worry about all the rent stuff, but that's a place where you then go, okay, where are my next steps? What do I have to do to make myself better so I can start climbing this ladder or whatever you want to call it? Mm-hmm. Um, and because, and then too, I mean, honestly, that's where voting comes into play as well. You have these politicians that are putting through all these these guidelines and things and that giving away all this free stuff. And it's like, free stuff is not free. And then it ends up that these companies are having to, you know, pay more for things. Granted, no. Do I, there's a certain amount that some of these CEOs have to make to get a quality one. Do I appreciate that, you know, I mean, I don't know what all goes into it. Um, so I can't get into all of it. Is it obnoxious to a certain point? How much money they're making? Yeah. Um, but again, there's so much more that goes into it. It's not just the actual dollars that the CEO makes. There's what are the rules and regulations that are going on in that city and state? Mm-hmm. What what is the minimum qualifications for a job that 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 an individual is interviewing for if it's you don't need any experience come in and and do your thing um okay well that's probably not going to pay that well but i can also say the same of all right i i know of cops that are making seven and eight dollars an hour depending on where they work in the country but yet you have some areas of our country that are demanding that a fast food restaurant employee gets paid $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. Excuse oh, no, me? That's, that's where I live right now. Cause I'm, I'm in Oregon. Okay. And, yeah. Um, no, it's, uh, it's, it's funny to me in a way, because when I started working my first, job I had that gave me a paycheck. I think I was making 375 an hour because that's what minimum wage was back then. Okay. Yeah. And uh when it went up to 425, I was like, woohoo, I get a 50 cent an hour raise, which was exactly back then it was also like I could put five dollars worth of gas in my tank and I right. could drive around for the entire weekend. And exactly. I'm looking at it now and it's like with what we're paying for gas, with what we're paying for housing, with everything else, it's like fifteen dollars an hour is about the equivalent to that four twenty-five from where from where I'm at right now. Because sure, our gas right now is the cheapest I saw today was four dollars and twenty-six dollars a gallon. Well, and that's because of the taxes that your state is charging. Oregon doesn't have a whole lot of them. 
Washington has a bunch. Washington has a ton. But then, too, there's a lot of other stuff, too, that wasn't going on. Um, you know, and I'm not going to get into all the politics and stuff, but th there's a lot of politics that goes into those gas prices. Oh, yeah. No, um, I know there's a whole bunch of what is it? I mean, I you know, it's bad when a dollar a gallon now and gas tax is what they charge or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, it's it's horrible. I mean, you know, it's bad when California is pushing by what is it? 2030, they want all of the cars to be electric. Mm -hmm. But yet they're telling people, oh, you can't charge your car today because our electrical grid is being uh, overrun. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> no, it's there's, there's the anyway. sides to everything on it. And um, I think there just needs to be more common sense. But at the same time, it's like common sense is definitely not common. Oh, yeah. God, no. Um, like. My whole thing is, is like, just be physical, fiscally responsible with mm -hmm. your policies. Absolutely. Um, sorry, the GOP lost me when they wanted to cut veterans benefits with this last debt ceiling crisis by 22%. Because I'm like, uh, no, then you're taking stuff away from people that have already paid the debt that you need to pay out on. Because after 20 years right. of war, the one thing you don't go in there is cut funding to people that are already dying of stuff that you've never heard of because of the stuff that they were exposed to. Right. No, no, no. And, and I get that. I don't know all those details. I would love to know the facts behind it versus what is being portrayed. Oh, That's no, their, I... uh, their plan that they sent forth that they wanted um, the Biden administration to agree to called for 22% reduction in veterans administration benefits funding going forward, which would have resulted in roughly 30 million lost appointments well, we, for veterans. Yeah, let, let, we'll just stay off of that when it comes to all that. I mean, again, just like with another officer, I'm not going to second guess someone until I have the actual facts. Oh, yeah. So, no, and I think Do I agree with cutting any VA benefits? Hell no. No. But I I'm not going to place blame on one thing or another. Uh, I've I just I, I look at it this way. We could probably take a hundred billion out of the defense budget and probably put that around in other places because let's face it, most of the stuff that gets spent for defense isn't really equipping out or getting a whole lot of stuff for the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines that are out there because we get a lot of stuff, but not the level of what we're spending it at. Right. Right. No, no, absolutely. I think um if 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 I had my druthers, I would say any extra money that the politicians made due to their positions, they should have to relinquish to backfill the uh, the debt that they have decided to make. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I, I agree with you because I think uh, I've had this conversation and it's like, I don't care what side you lean. The one thing I think everybody in America can agree with is that if you're only deciding on what level of corruption you want to put in office anymore at the national level. Cause I think very, very mm -hmm. few of them are not. Cause I mean, when it's like what you said with what's goes on in law enforcement, when you're inside that inside those four walls, you're exposed to it every day. So even if you don't want to be, and you want to buck the system, eventually you end up becoming part of the system. Right. Because their whole goal, it isn't to make America better. It's to get reelected. Right. And right. Then by getting reelected, they can get paid more by companies that are funding their elections 
you get policies that the companies want passed. Yeah, it, it's a vicious circle. It is, and I don't it think it matters to... what side of the aisle you're on. Um, yeah. No, no, term limits are a wonderful thing. Oh, or or do the other thing and just repeal the amendment that put term limits on the presidency. Because then, you no, would, I want term limits on everything. Oh no, I would want term. I think at this point, getting uh, going back to the FDR days where you can have a president for four terms, I don't think would be. No, no. Something that they want, but at the same time, you would have to have Congress pass term limits on themselves, which they will never do because they can't even figure out most of the stuff that's up in front of them right now. Sure. Uh, um. Well, let me ask you this, because on your military side, yeah. one, I know burn pits were over there. I know the oil wells got really, really bad. I don't know how much of that stuff you were exposed to. I also know you guys got to swallow the little red pills for the uh, nerve agent antidote that they were force feeding you guys over there. Right. Yeah, um, anthrax, yeah. Oh, anthrax I got. Anthrax sucks. I will honestly say anthrax it's not the fact that the first one hurts it's okay it's that they get worse yeah as you get them one. yeah like it's the same shot why does it take me three days to feel like i can use my arm again after you give me the last one yeah. well, the first one it's kind of like okay that kind of stung a little bit it's not too bad right and by the shot four you're just like fuck i don't want to get another one of these things yeah um, yeah no they were they were bad. Um, no, we were also exposed to um, low levels of mustard gas. Was that from the scuds coming in, or was that from probably, probably? Yeah. I was not given a um, a reason for it, but <clears throat> it's uh, it's well known that we were all exposed to low levels of mustard gas, which is why I've got all the respiratory problems that I have. Yeah, no, I got um, pretty good asthma that, especially in the cold, it'll trigger like nobody's business now. Yeah. Um, no, I never heard about the mustard gas thing. I got a friend that was over in Gulf War One, um, who was with the 82nd, and mm. I don't know how long he got to spend running around the desert having fun because you know they were over there early and didn't go home until it was all done. But yeah. No, it's just um, I was curious because I know a lot of the Air Force personnel were in Saudi Arabia, but I also know that there had to be people going forward. And then your job was to receive them essentially from the caches and then get them out to Longstool, which is yeah, what and Rhine Main. Yeah, we did both. But yeah, um, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to say the least. How um, many flights did you make during that period of time? How many flights? Yeah. Uh, I think me, myself, I did at least four or five. And then if you times how many crews we had, which was just in that area, because I was up in King Kali. Okay. And so I was right there at the Iraqi border. So we took all the hot stuff out. And um, 
then if you times it by the different crews and we had probably four or five crews at our location, um, that's quite a bit. Yeah. And you were taking what, 20 to 30 out of flight? Uh, no, more than that. No, we would probably have, I would say average was probably 40. Because we would have ambulatory and litter. Okay, so you would, yeah. No, because I know um, the Air Force nurses that were doing, basically we called them the flying ICUs. I was on the receiving end of them a few times. Mm -hmm. um, that, what was it? At one point they had, I think it was 35,000 medevac flights or medevacs that they had performed patient-wise and they had lost one in that period of time. Yeah. During transport, which is incredible because you don't even get that in hospitals. <laughs> yeah. No, we we had several criticals. We even had, um, we did one uh, that I remember. Obviously, I don't remember the person's name that um, he was, he was gone. His heart just didn't know it. And um we were we were getting him out so his family could see him one last time technically alive so yeah that one that that was painful for a lot of us because we we knew what the end result was going to be but i mean and during that time frame of our flight when when the um the plane itself had to power down to get ready to take off. We literally strapped in with cargo straps, a person that could stand above that person, the, the patient and Ambu bag him until we could get lifted off and we could get power going again. Yeah. So, um, I haven't been in I haven't been in that situation, but I've been in stuff where um there was one that always sticks with me and it was in the emergency room and went through a code, came in, um, had coded on the ambulance, were still getting CPR when they came to the doors. We worked on them for I want to say it was about 20 minutes. And mm -hmm. we're going through our cycles, we're doing all the stuff we're supposed to do. The doc that was in charge went out to go talk to the family because someone had gotten on, made contact with the family and he wanted to find out what they wanted to do in case we couldn't get him back. And he comes walking back in about 10 seconds after we got a pulse back and literally looked at us and went, family wants to pull all heroic measures, stop whatever you're doing. Uh. And it was like, okay. And so it was me and one other nurse sitting in the room waiting for the pulse to go away. And it took 20 minutes. And just oh my God. Just when you thought you would be done, you'd get like a 10 or 15, 20 second pause and you'd be like, okay, yeah. maybe this is it. And you go get the doc and, you know, have time of death called. And then you'd get one bloop. Uh. And it would just keep going. And you're just like, and you're just sitting in there. 
and it seems like it was an eternity and you're just like this is okay. not this is not who i am this is not <laughs> this is this is not what i signed up for no i mean by that point it's like you've seen it you kind of get used to it and there's a part of you in the er where you kind of callous yourself over it and i mean sure. it was the first time i'd seen death and probably won't be the last of my lifetime but it was it's one of those situations that it's like you're not you don't sign up for that particular type yeah. of situation when no you're absolutely what you're doing you're like yeah we're gonna go in here we're gonna do great jobs we're gonna save lives yada 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 and it's like yep nope and i was like yep don't give me the sick kids give me the person missing an arm or a leg i'm your guy don't give me a sick kid because that's not yeah. what i'm used to and it scares the crap out of me yeah but um yeah. Eventually, you just kind of deal with what gets put in front of you, and you just keep on going. Um, No, but uh, yeah, no. I think those are some of the ones that make it a little hard. Those are the ones you tend to remember. It's not the blood, the gore, or anything else. It's the ones where you're like, "Yeah, this wasn't this wasn't really what I signed up for." And when it's everybody just kind of scatters, and you're stuck in a room there, and you're just like, "Nothing I can do." Yeah, you're just watching the monitor, twiddling your thumbs. Trying not to go through it all, but no. Um, I do want to talk about more about the dogs because yes, I got dogs my kids watching, kids watching more because I'm like, let's end on a positive note. Let's let's get out of all yeah. the things and let's talk about dogs because I find it interesting that your dogs are trained for what you call the critical response and that they're trained to recognize who is the most stressed. Because mm-hmm. I would love to see one of your dogs at like an army formation when we're doing death by PowerPoint and just let, oh them, my go gosh, the, yeah. just let them go through the room and see which person they would go to first. Oh my gosh, yeah. Because there's like a, a leader in that room, I would note who the dog's going to and be like, okay, these are people I need to sit down and just have a conversation with. Not because there's anything that's going on right now, but just to find out why is this dog coming to you first? Right. Um, what? And, and you know, just like with wild animals, they hide it to the best of their ability. But the dogs can see right through it. Oh, yeah. No, my dogs, um, I've got four Australian Shepherds. Oh, yeah. And one of them in the middle of the night will come up and like lick me in the face to wake me up while another one will get purposely like in between me and my wife. Right. I don't know what I was dreaming about, but it was apparently something that was getting me a little riled up because they're both kind of doing what they do when I get a little. Thanks. Um, What kind of dogs do you? basically find that attuned to this type of job well well we typically look for a dog breed that does not look anything like a patrol dog Um, not that we have a problem with them because i don't but a lot of people are apprehensive because they automatically assume and you know what that word does that it's a bite dog so we avoid those. So typically it's the floppy ears or something else. Um, I actually am training, I think he's eight or nine months now, a little Aussie. Um, 
to, to work with, to um, go with me to work with people. Um, yeah. Critical incident. I can tell you this way. All of my Aussies, the oldest one just turned two on the 18th. And the youngest one is about the same age as yours. Yeah. Yeah. They're, you got to have a plan with them because they're bundles of energy. Oh, yeah. They want to go with you. Absolutely. He's, yeah. He's my fourth. My first one was um, search and rescue and explosives. Um, my second one was uh, actually used as a as a therapy dog, um, and just he was a rescue, drop dead gorgeous. Um, third one was um, search and rescue as well, and uh, we did weapons detection. And then this guy is going to be completely critical incident and who knows what else I might add to him. But um, I've got a Belgian Malinois that is a bomb dog. And then I have my retired canine, which is um, a black lab. Okay. Those are the three I own right now. I just lost my previous Aussie to uh -huh. old age um, last year. And so, um, so I've got the, the three dogs now. And, um, and so right now I've got two German shore hair pointers in our program, uh, one Labrador, and then a young dog that looks to be a lab mix. Okay. Yeah. So more of like the sniffing dogs than the bite dogs. Cause I can, I know the Belgian, I'm like, I can only picture your backyard with the Aussie and the Belgian chasing each other around. Cause those two oh, are yeah. high energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but we've got anything from, uh, uh, I've had a golden retriever mix. I've got a uh, Catahoula leopard dog mix. Probably I've is a mix. heard of that breed before. They are drop-dead gorgeous. They're, they, they've got the Labrador coat with the merle coloring. They're the Louisiana state dog. Okay. Yeah. So, and this boy is just the sweetest thing ever. Um, and he's about, I'd say he's 80 plus pounds. Oh, big boy. He's a big boy. He's a big old baby. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but that's, that's predominantly what we use. We do a lot of temperament testing, even to bring him into our program. We need to know that you know, different things, odd things, loud things, scary things don't scare them. It's one thing to startle, you know, when a sudden noise happens behind you, you know, of course you're going to go, oh, wait, what was that? Mm -hmm. But from there, do they go into panic mode and want to run? Do they become aggressive towards it and want to chew it up? Um, do they pee themselves? Do they, you know, what are they doing? We, the perfect dog would startle possibly and then turn around and go, oh, that was dumb. And then walk <laughs> up to it, sniff it and go, oh, nothing to eat. I'm on. Yeah. yeah. Let's go on to something else. No treats. So that would be the perfect situation. Um, they need to want to be with people, you know, to socialize, to be out and about and doing stuff. Um, they have to have, in general, a calm behavior when on leash. Now, they can be a wild child out in the backyard and go ripping around. I don't have a problem with that. But when they're on leash, 
They need to be mild-mannered and calm and uh, receiving of people's attention. No, and that that's great. Um, how long does it take for you to basically put them through the training and get one certified to be able to do these critical responses? Hey, depending on the dog and what they do know or don't know, um, it can take three to six months, three on the, on the early side, six on the ladder. And that's if we're talking a dog that's a year or close to a year or older. Um, we take them up to approximately two years old because some of them, obviously, if they're at a rescue, it's an approximate. But I don't take too many puppies because it takes so long. We've got to hold on to them until they're at least nine months old. And once we get that, then they can go on um, and be placed. And then we get the guarantee from the agency that at a year old, um, they'll get spay or neutered. Okay. Um, you know, so um, that's really what uh, depends on uh, with that. So every so often we'll take a puppy, but most of the time, my perfect age range is two-ish, year and a half to two years old, because then we can get right into training and then move along to another, you know, to another agency. Yeah, no, because it seems about year and a half to two years old is also when they start to mellow out and they're not not quite so puppyish anymore. Like, my, there's a big difference between my two-year-old. She'll still get out there and play. Right. seven-month-old wants to play all the time and it's like you got to constantly do the reinforcement when you're trying to get the training stuff going right um is there a website or a way people could like contact you or donate yeah. or reach out to you yeah um the website is caninesforfreedom.org so it's k9 s f o r f r e e d o m dot org um email is my first name janine at caninesforfreedom.org and um, we've got a presence on Facebook uh, Instagram uh, you can find me on LinkedIn under my name um, trying to think of where else you, you can find me on Twitter uh, I've, I've got an account there um, trying to think of what else yeah um you know, uh, phone numbers out there. Um, and I don't mind giving it out for people who are wanting to ask or for agencies wanting to find out more information, but either way, email me, I'll, we'll, we'll get in contact with each other. We'll talk about whatever you're looking for and see if it's a good match. Um, I'm more than willing to try and make it work than to automatically just say no. No. And I, I think that's fair. Cause I think there's a need for animals like that around the country and probably more of them are needed than less of them are needed. Right. And we're, we're trying to do it in a professional way for a number of reasons, other than for liability for the agency. We're trying to make it a professional, um, give them a professional status. Um, because they're an agency canine, all the precautions under the FLSA go with it. So Fair uh, Federal Labor Standards Act or the Fair Labor Standards Act, um, which is from the federal government. But then two is law enforcement and fire are not going to talk to 
no, no offense, but they're not going to talk to Joe Blow, somebody with a dog. Mm -hmm. They can't trust it. And some things have happened on some of these casualties across our country. And I'm wondering, because people start showing up out of the woodwork to get their five minutes of fame, if some of the information that was leaked to media was overheard by someone who shouldn't have heard it. And so we're trying to furnish um, to agencies and we'll help out where we can from, you know, coming from outside agencies is having law enforcement who's already had a background check. We're already part of the family per se, um, you know, and be there for your people or your community and know that I'm a safe place I'm not going to give out the information to the media. And in most states, because of my background and training in peer support and uh, law enforcement, whatever I hear, I am, that information is held as if I was, which I'm not, as if I was a counselor or chaplain. Hmm. So they can't use anything that I've heard in regards to a legal action against that person or an administrative action towards that person from their own agency. I don't document names. Uh, I don't document what people say. All I document is that I was here at this location on these dates. We helped approximately, and then we give an approximate number and maybe describe in basics the situation as to why we were called and why we were there and the situation that we were in. So that part's well documented for training records and whatnot for the for the team. Mm -hmm. But we don't document names as to who I talked to, what agency, what they said, or anything like that. And I'm not going to remember anyway when it comes to all the different stuff that individuals are going to talk to me about. I'm not going to remember who said what. Yeah. And at least in a multitude of states, at least half of the states in the U.S., it is the same way where whatever I hear can't be used in a legal or administrative function. No, and I think that's important because sometimes it's more important to get those emotions out than it is to worry about what the ramifications of someone talking about that stuff is. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, because I mean, it's like every, well, you know. every stepped in, you know, sometimes you just got to get the stuff out. Mm -hmm. Let it be said and just know that in those moments, there is no repercussion coming from anything that's being said because you need to hear the voices and you need to hear the the takes because every set of eyes has a different viewpoint. And right. you got to make sure that everyone's being represented in those moments. And it's and what happens if you don't have somebody be able to decompress after that? How are they going to carry that back when they go home or anything else? And I think we've been around the block enough to know that we've seen the after effects of that. And that that's it's never not working. <laughs> right. No, so, absolutely. And you've you've seen it. You've been part of of that realm where we've got to start jumping on it immediately because that's the reason why you're ignoring it. You're suck it up and move on and you know, blah, blah, whatever the old school way of dealing with it is, it's not working. Mm -hmm. And we don't have, even on, on the, the nursing side, we don't have as a society, as a community, as a supervisor, as a company, 
we don't have the luxury of allowing this stuff to continue because we're losing people, whether or not they're walking out the door or God forbid they're committing suicide. We don't have the luxury of being able to just replace them because recruitment is down in every field. Mm -hmm. Um, you're not going to have the caliber of people that you once had because you're losing experience that you'll never be able to put a price on or be able to replace. Um, and then you're not going to have the individuals that want to stay because you're showing that you don't have my back. And I'm not saying if I've outright done something wrong, like we've talked about several cases, I'm not talking about covering that stuff up, you know, when you've really done something wrong. But if if I've made a innocent mistake and you're not there to help me get better and all you're doing is kicking me to the curb, you're going to go through your people quite quickly. Yeah. And then you're going to have no one to pull from. Yeah, I always refer to that as the sledgehammer syndrome, and it always seemed to happen on the person. Like, I was on the receiving end of it for being late once, but you'd see the person that was chronically late coming in all the time, and it always seemed like nothing was ever happening, nothing was ever happening, and you do it once, and it's like a sledgehammer comes down on you. And right. you're like, I've done this once, so-and-so, well, we're not talking about so-and-so right now. Exactly. Um. Yeah, but you can't, you're not operating in a vacuum either. Right. So you can't exactly. treat so-and-so a certain way and then come down on me like this for right. one incident when it, yeah. No, I hear what you're saying when it comes to that. And it's it's the unfortunate thing of, I think we forgot that people are humans. Oh yeah, especially when it comes to first responders. We're expected yeah. to be robots and behave perfectly in every situation but yet you know we have human things to deal with we have you know everything else about us is human mm -hmm. we are human yeah well and i think a lot of it is just is take take your interactions with people with a grain of salt be kind to people you know if, if someone's disrespecting you I'm not saying take it or don't do something about it, but at the same time, there's very little in this world that if you just kind of take it as like, it's not my problem, they're having the problem, right? And just kind of let it go, that you can't walk away from in this world at the end of the day. And I think it's just, people just got to give, give grace to everybody. Right. Let people be people and understand that it's like, yeah, they might be having a bad day, and one mistake doesn't need to be the end of a career or or anything else, but treat it like what it is. An opportunity to learn from something that didn't go exactly how you wanted it to. Sure. I mean, yeah, it depends on the severity, obviously, you know, obviously. but yeah, if it's a simple mistake and yeah, in your instance, you know, showing up late the one time. Um, okay. That that's that shouldn't even be brought up, you know, or, you know, um, maybe it's, hey, I, I kind of noticed you were late today. You you're never late. Is is everything OK? What's going on? <laughs> Versus, 
what happened to you. Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately, you know, they're throwing officers under the bus to save their own political butts um, from the administrators. But it's the administrators that are either outright causing or allowing to happen the behavior that made that situation happen. Yeah, the, it's, they don't address the underlying behavior that is manifesting right. in those ways that become those big, huge issues that unfortunately are making national television. Exactly. Because I, I, I mean, because regardless of what industry you're in or whatever, whatever's happening, I mean, we've got it in healthcare too. Like there was a big Netflix movie that came out, I want to say about eight months ago about the nurse that, they know he killed like seven or eight people and they think he might've been responsible for a few dozen more and multiple hospitals wow. around. And it's like, yeah. yeah, there's, there's bad apples in every bunch, but absolutely. You, you cannot judge an entire industry of people for the few that are doing. Oh yeah. The bad things. And I, I exactly. And I don't know. I I'm grateful that for like my years in the military because i never obviously i wasn't a cop um but i'm grateful for my years in the military that it wasn't like my dad's generation because my dad literally got spit on coming home from vietnam oh yeah was I... a career, career guy did 23 years of active duty but at least this go around and i think for gulf war one there was no confusion between the politicians sending us to war and the people that were going over there and doing the fight. Right. I um, literally was brought to tears when we got back and, you know, they you, you get off the plane and literally the first thing I did is I kissed the ground. It was the tarmac, but I still kissed it. Didn't oh, yeah. um, and they they had us all go into this hangar and there was this long row of people welcoming us back and you know that 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 double-sided row of people that you walked between and everyone was waving flags and all that and i saw uh one this one gentleman in particular i saw absolutely by his age and what he wore knew he was a vietnam vet and i mean i just went up to him and i i was bawling because it was like you should have gotten this. Mm-hmm. You, why are you here? You should have gotten this. And, um, you know, and his explanation was basically, it should have, but I'm not going to allow it to not happen to you. Yeah. You know, for you not to have that, that good reception coming home. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just crazy. So no, I get it. Yeah. Well, I don't want to keep you any longer because I, we, we're, we've been going quite a while at this point. Oh, wow. But, uh, <laughs> I'm like, cause I know you're a few hours in front of me, so I don't know if you got a chance to eat before you got on or not, but no, 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 not yet. Um, That's okay. I do want to thank you because I think the conversations we had were poignant. I think that they were honest and I do want to thank you because I could tell that, you know, there's, there's parts, especially when it comes to law enforcement that you really care deeply about. And it's one of the, why you do the canines for freedom. Um, 
to give that support that you might not have had when you were in law enforcement. And I respect the wholeheartedly of that because I think the big thing is too, is that people just need to be able to have discussions where, you know, we're not going to necessarily agree on the same takes and the same viewpoints. Absolutely. And that is fine because we can Absolutely. still have a conversation about it and, you know, reach some understanding and gain some mutual respect for individuals. And I think, Honestly, if people just did that a little bit more, I think the world would be a much better place because it's oh, yeah, absolutely. too easy to be like, I'm right, you're wrong, yada, yada, yada. And no, that's yep. never the way the world works. No, I, and that's absolutely true. I mean, we've got to be able to talk about any topic. I don't care what topic it is. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, it's kind of gotten to that place where we're not. And, and I think um, that's that's really putting a wedge between people communities you name it yeah no um i think that in order to find the crooks and find the solutions you have to have the conversations about the issues and by closing off one conversation one side or another you do a disservice to everybody yeah regardless of where you're at or what's going on because uh you got to find out the why yeah. And if it's important to a group of people, find out why it's important. Don't just discount it because you're discounting an entire segment of the population for no other reason than you disagree with whatever decision it is that they're they're trying to support. So right. I don't I don't agree with that. I can disagree with people all day long, but it doesn't mean yeah. I think they're bad people. It just means I don't I don't agree with you on certain things and that is the way it is. But thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, no, absolutely. Anyone that is even hinted about using uh, 220 needs to. Whether or not, you know, their, whatever their mindset is towards, you know, if they think it might be stupid or whatever, just try. Just try it. Oh yeah, no, not I, gonna hurt. I uh, I believe because my big thing and the reason why I'm doing all this is my main focus is fifty percent of the profits that I make are going to get donated right back into either organizations or directly funding programs for mental health for veterans and housing affordable housing programs for veterans because those are the two big things that veterans need help with. It's like oh yeah, they're losing twenty two a day to suicide. How many other more aren't able to hold down a job consistently or were lucky enough to file for their benefits so that they actually have the ability to put a roof over their heads? Right. It's like one out of every eight to 10 homeless people in America right now is a veteran that wore the uniform. Oh, yeah. And it's yep. like there's no reason in a country this rich that anybody that has ever worn the flag on their right shoulder ever needs to be without because they've already paid their debt to this country for what they, oh, yeah. were, what they were asked to do. Um, but I think that's true of any time in service, anything else. I mean, the World War II generation, I mean, when more than 10% of the country's in the military by the time you, you're you done, you right. basically couldn't throw a rock without hitting a veteran in America. But now it's like we went from what was it, almost 14% of the nation's population serving in the armed forces to less than 1% have served in it. And it's only seems to be getting worse. Yep. 
And it's it's a hard thing to see because the military tradition in this family where you had families that would serve generation to generation is gone. I think now even if it wasn't for the post 9-11 GI Bill, I don't know if there would be a good enough reason for a lot of people to enlist or even go in for four years other than trying to get college paid for. And I think a lot of them are just trying to do that and then get out as fast as they can. And that could be, I, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's sad to see how horrible um, they're treating veterans. Um, it sickens me to see how the elderly veterans are being treated and given the runaround and I, I mean, I've had my run-ins with the VA. Oh yeah. That's I get my, uh, I get all of my care out in the community now. Um, I deal with them as little as possible. I don't trust them. Um, yeah. And seeing that, as someone that works for the VA, but understands where you're coming from, because I tell everybody that, especially when it comes to getting your benefits. It's like dealing with an insurance company that doesn't want to pay you pay out after the accident. It's mm -hmm. like they make it almost in a way, um, and I don't know if it's legislated into it or whatever is going on, but it's, and I know they're trying to do it, but a lot of the things that they're doing are trying to be more technical. And a lot of the veterans that need the help don't have the technical capability of going through all the different websites and oh, things yeah. to find it or how to schedule it. Those yep. that do, I think it's making it a lot easier to access it. And I think going right. forward as the younger generations kind of come behind us, that movement's going to make it easier for them to access benefits mm -hmm. and care. Yeah. But right now, it's kind of like there's this gap between the old phone call, pen and paper, and the technology. And it doesn't seem to be a lot of things that are bridging it real well. Right. So a lot of people kind of are falling through the cracks. And then just like every other healthcare system right now, it's just overloaded. There's there's shortages across the country. Sure. It's COVID, and I don't see those getting any better either. So it's it's going to be a real interesting few few years, and to see what happens. Yep. No, absolutely. I uh, I can only pray that um, that uh, we we find a way to to take care of um, our veterans better, our first responders better. Um, because without all of them, this world would be a much uh, darker place. You know, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. So, All right. Well, um, like I said, I don't want to keep you even going. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Minutes, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, I didn't get to make too many Air Force jokes. Or That's chair. okay. I'm used to being called Chair Force, and I'm like, hey, you know what, though? <laughs> You guys are always wanting to come to our bases, so don't don't be jealous. Oh don't yeah, be you, guys, you, guys, you guys definitely spent your budget allotment um, a lot better than the other branches did. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? You, I mean, I mean, I've been on Navy bases and I've been on a few Army bases, and Air Force spends a lot of their stuff on on things to do on base and different, you know, stuff like that, and then they go back to Congress and say, "Whoopsie." We need more money for planes. And how yeah. can they say no to that? Whereas you get like the Navy, they put everything into their ships and they have they don't have squat on their bases. You can't go to Congress and say, hey, I need more money for 
XYZ on the base. Oh, I know. The Air Force got to so. get rid of all the bullshit and just keep what worked in 1946 or 48 when they finally got formed. So it's yeah. it's funny. I, I, I love it. You know. Oh, no. I, I will honestly say I think there's at some point almost everybody in every other branch that happens onto an army base in the middle of God knows where or an Air Force base in the middle of God knows where and you go to the defect for the first time and you're just like, I chose the wrong fucking branch. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, I, I enjoyed the army. I had fun. It, it allowed oh, me yeah. to do what I wanted to do. And oh, yeah. No. What I needed. It didn't necessarily uh, give me what I wanted, but it gave me what I needed. Yep. No, absolutely. That is right, definitely well, true. Jeanette, um, hopefully some people will reach out to you. Hopefully you'll get some calls from, from agencies or whatever else. But I uh, thank you again. It was an absolute Absolutely. Pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Anything to highlight? Another organization that's doing good for those that need it, I think, is the crux of this. Because really, the only thing I want to do is highlight stuff and talk about stuff so that anybody listening can just be a little bit better tomorrow than they were today. And I think... Yeah by listening to us people got some some insight into different various ways of looking at situations and can come out of it a little bit better tomorrow and at the very least they got to hear about 220 again so absolutely wonderful helped. organization absolutely yeah no i'm gonna put uh my audio with dr arnell i think is my first podcast one because i think it's just going to build from there and oh, kind yeah. of from there so Again, thank awesome. you so much for joining joining me. Um, thank you for being on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure. Best of luck to you and the organization. Thank you. Uh, you too. If there's anything I can do to help, let me know. Oh, I will I will reach out, but I, I think at this point it's I'm just trying to, you know, I'm on the tarmac taxiing for the runway. I'm just trying to get it to take off at this point. And there you go. If I take off, hopefully I get to bring a whole lot of people with me. So there you that, go. that's my Perfect. goal. Perfect. Yep. All right. Well, you have a wonderful evening. Again, thank you. You too. And yeah, I don't want to hold you up any longer. Go take care Alrighty. of Ozzy because I know he's probably out there in the him between him and the Belgian, they're probably have ripped up God knows what in the backyard at this point. Probably. <laughs> All right. Take care, buddy. You as well. Have a great evening. Thanks. You too. Bye bye.